The XJ Talk Show is for entertainment purposes only. Any advice or information provided on this show should be verified by alternative sources prior to making any changes or modifications to your vehicle. We are not experts, just people that enjoy the Jeep hobby and don't mind talking endlessly about it. P.S. We love you. We interrupt this broadcast for a live news bulletin. Look in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. Aha, made you look. Welcome to the XJ Talk Show. You're listening to the premier podcast about Jeep Cherokees, off-road adventures, tips that you can use, and interviews with people in the off-road industry. And now, here are your hosts, Tony and Josh. Yes, yes. Episode 141. Yes, I think that's right. 141. I'm uh, Tony. You also know me as Motoroy on XJTalk.com, and uh, we'll tell you more about XJTalk.com during the show. In fact, you'll probably get sick of it. I think this is, uh, I think it's fair to say, Josh. Oh, well, I don't know about all that. I wouldn't exactly call us over-branding, but hey, guys, I am Josh. You guys know me as NW99XJ or Northwest99XJ over at our beloved site, XJTalk.com. And if you've never heard of XJTalk.com, well, it's a forum. It's a site where you can go and uh, post things and learn things and uh, cut up and have some fun, but you don't have any of that pesky flaming or uh, Google is your friend type posts from, uh, you know... I guess you'd expect it from the common riffraff on the on the forum, but not the moderators. From, and unfortunately, from, you see it from moderators too. I, I just I, I've never been able to understand that. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff you get from those other guys, not from us. <laughs> no, well, not more than once. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, uh, we uh, respectfully go through a private message and tell tell people whether it be a moderator, an admin, or even a site owner <laughs> to tell them to knock it off. I know I've been told to knock it off a couple of times, Josh. Oh, boy. Well, you know, you can knock it off, you strap it back on. <laughs> right. nah, I'm not going to touch that one. Uh-uh. No, it's never a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got a good show for you guys tonight. You're going to stick around for this. Uh, we've got a few new things to give to you, so uh, buckle in, uh, sit down, grab a drink, and yeah, we're going to have some fun. Hey, this is the XG Talk Show, a podcast about Jeep Cherokees off-roading, the tech that you need to get you there and back. We're here to promote the web's most premier website for all that is Jeep Cherokee, xjtalk.com, the friendliest and most helpful Jeep site on the web. xjtalk.com encourages and answers all the questions and concerns that the first-time XJ owners typically have about the flaming or criticism, all while giving you the best, most in-depth articles and write-ups for the repairs and modifications to take your average XJ to the next level. Now get ready. It's the XJ Talk Show, and it starts right now. First week in G. Well, a pair of critical recalls hits Chrysler pretty hard. Chrysler Group will uh, recall as many as 792,300 of the 2006 and 2007 Jeep Commanders and 2005 to 2006 Jeep Grand Cherokees globally. To fix an ignition switch problem that could be well, to fix the ignition switches that could be knocked out of the on position, causing a stall and possible loss of power to the airbags. That's right. So you won't watch that next sneeze, folks, hiccup, or even that fart. It could call, kill the engine, dis the airbags, and kill you. <laughs> Engineers are still developing a fix, and the company says it's initiating a recall out of an abundance of caution, quote unquote. 
Well, I'm wondering if it's going to take them eight months to develop a special tool for this so-called <laughs> fix, like it did the engineers to fix the gas tank recall on the old ZJs. The SUV recall is unrelated to earlier uh, to an earlier recall involving 2009-2010 Dodge Journeys, 2008-2010 Dodge Grand Caravans, and 2008-2010 Chrysler Town and Country minivans. Uh, you see a trend here, guys? As I've reported to you in prior episodes for the same reason, ignition switches have been under heavy scrutiny throughout the auto industry this year in the wake of General Motors' recall of 2.6 million vehicles for faulty ignition switches linked to at least 13 deaths and a wave of lawsuits, investigations, congressional hearings, and temper tantrums across the nation. All told, GM recalled 25.7 million vehicles in the United States this, just this year alone. The Jeep recall covers an estimated 650,000 commanders and Grand uh, Cherokee SUVs in the United States, another 41,600 in Canada and Mexico, and the remainder are all overseas. Chrysler said it knows of one accident and no injuries related to ignition switch issues with the commander or the uh, other affected Grand Cherokees. Chrysler also says this investigation suggests an outside force, usually attributed to contact from the driver's knee, which may move ignition keys from the on position to the you're all going to die position. <laughs> the company said that the condition may cause engine stall, reducing braking power, and make steering more difficult. Yeah, because your ignition is going to lock. Important life-saving features such as frontal airbags may also be disabled. Doesn't that sound just like a pleasant ride? The bottom line, you're screwed. <laughs> that is if you drive a Grand Cher Cherokee or a Commander from the affected years. The Commander, or as I like to call it, the vehicle that probably should have been called the new Cherokee, is no longer produced, and the Grand Cherokee has since been redesigned and later versions are not subject to the recall. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration said earlier that it had logged at least 32 complaints alleging that, while driving, a driver's leg came in contact with the SUV key fob or the keychain, causing the key to switch to the off or accessory position. Chrysler is advising owners that, uh, of the recalled Commanders and Grand Cherokees to ensure there is enough clearance between their knees and the keys. The company is also advising owners to remove all items from their key rings, leaving only their ignition keys. Look, people, we went over this. All you need to do is quit trying to hug the steering wheel while you drive. Extend that arm a little bit and scoot your seat back. I think the recall needs to include a slap to the face of dumb drivers who sit too close to the wheel and maybe a referral to Jenny Craig. Chrysler also announced a second smaller recall of 21,000 Ram 1500 pickups, Jeep Cherokees, not the XJs, guys, don't worry, and Chrysler 200 sedans manufactured in late May and early June to inspect and replace their shocks and or struts. The vehicles were built using a shipment of shocks and struts that were apparently made out of spaghetti noodles and balsa wood and, quote, do not meet the company's quality standards and may break free from their mounts, leading to possible loss of vehicle control and kill you, Chrysler said. <laughs> they didn't say that last part. The issue was spotted by a supplier, and the company said it was unaware of any reported accidents, injuries, or complaints. All the vehicles were built within a 16-day period before June 6th, Chrysler has said. An estimated 14,300 vehicles are in the United States, 5,300 in Canada, 160 in Mexico, and 2,160 in Mexico, that's it, and 2,000 are outside the North American Free Trade Agreement region. I'd just like to add that I think that if you uh, put your buck teeth on your knee, you're probably sitting too close to the steering wheel. Yeah, really. If you can extend your hand fully and go through the windshield, well, you're probably sitting too close. Okay, Jeep is taking over the world. No, okay, maybe not literally, but figuratively speaking, and only in reference to auto sales, and okay, only in North America. Yeah, I was close, right? We reported recently that the all-time record sales numbers Chrysler and Jeep, uh, the Jeep brand, have been producing uh, are pretty impressive. If 2013 was the year of the pickup, 2014 belongs to Jeeps. No other brand has gained so much traction in the U.S. this year, period. 
That's probably because no other brand is offering traction like the Jeep's legendary four-wheel drive heritage offers. From January through July, Chrysler sold 392,390 Jeeps in North America alone, 44% more than in the same period last year. That was enough to rocket the American brand past Kia and even Dodge, its corporate cousin, to the number seven spot on a ranking by volume. At the moment, Jeep is right behind Hyundai in terms of total vehicles sold. I can't believe Hyundai is beating Jeep. Here's the amazing thing. If all car companies were to maintain this year's pace, granted that is a huge if, Jeep would become the best-selling vehicle brand in North America sometime in 2018, blowing past uh, Ford and its fleet of aluminum F-150s. That probably isn't going to happen for plenty of reasons. Uh, mainly amongst the, those is Jeep's recent sales boom has been spurred almost exclusively by new products. In particular, uh, the new Cherokee, which made its rocky and foobar debut last October and since then has become almost as popular as its grander sibling. Now, there's a limit to how much product proliferation and niche brands such as Jeep can pull off. Ford can do a hatchback or a coupe. Jeep can't, although I think they're going to try, aren't they? Though a Jeep pickup is a ref- would be a refreshed or a wood-plated Wagoneer would probably do just fine. That being said, Chrysler Fiat Corporation has one more gear in its Jeep acceleration plan, the Renegade. The first subcompact off-road SUV, which is unveiled in Geneva earlier this spring, purists note that the vehicle will be more like a big Fiat than a baby Jeep. It's being built in southern Italy, after all. But that famous grill is still being bolted right onto the front, and buyers can get a vintage military gas can to strap on the back. Now, won't that look just swell? The Renegade will roll into U.S. dealerships by the end of this year. If it manages to win over U.S. buyers, it could tow the brand right into Honda territory, as not only a major best-selling brand in the U.S., but globally as well. I think what we can take from all this is the cute ute has a lot riding on its shoulders. Uh, Honda territory. I hate hearing Jeep and Honda territory together. <laughs> no, in the same sentence, even I'm sorry, guys, it's just, it's all about a big numbers game. Uh, obviously, you know, it's the bottom line is what we're talking about here. And, and units sold and dollars made is really what all that matters to these manufacturers. As you can tell, Jeep is not doing a very good job and neither is GM really about making sure they're putting quality products into their vehicles. As I've never seen uh, more recalls and more vehicles being recalled and, and the numbers of which uh, as far as I can remember, uh, these are some pretty big recalls going on. And, uh, and I think that uh, this might be a big wake up called the automotive industry, as far as what they're doing, where they're sourcing their parts from. And, and of course, a little bit of, uh, maybe some cleaning house in the QC department. Well, let me, let me throw something out there to see what you think about this, Josh. You know, we're, we're very much in a, uh, environment of, Oh, woe is me. Government take care of me. Uh, how dare you uh, expect me to do, you know, have a job and pay taxes and, and do all those other things. I'm out of out of work, so pay me money and stuff. So anyway, uh, is it possible that, because, you know, we've had these little little things we put keys in and we turn to start and uh, ha- let the, the engine run and lock the steering wheel. We've had those for decades. So unless they've been placed in a different spot, radically like up around your testicles i can't see <laughs> how people are are uh, you know starting to bump these things i mean gm and jeep i can't imagine that two separate organizations have a exact same design flaw or the same cheap parts it's possible but i'm wondering if if people are just whiny little bitches and that's what it amounts to 
Oh, no, that I'm pretty sure that that has a very large portion to do with it. But, Tony, uh, for, for all of you veteran listeners out there, you guys know that I have a very long commute. And uh, and I see it every single day, both going to work and coming home. Somebody up there with their elbows fully bent, their hands almost three inches from their chin with on their hand on the steering wheel. They're sitting so close to the steering wheel or they've telescoped their, you know, fancy uh, telescoping steering wheel column, uh, you know, all the way up to their chest. I mean, there, there's virtually no room for them to move, and they're so close up to that steering wheel for whatever reason. I, I don't know if they, they just need to be that much closer to the car in front of them. They can't see out the windshield by scooting you know, a foot back a little bit further to extend those arms a little bit, give themselves some breathing room. I think that's a lot of it, it and part of it might be a generational thing, too. Because it has to be. The, the, I'm seeing this more and more in... In in uh, in elderly and and baby boomer generation type of people, and not so much in in the in the younger folks. They we, you know they they know how to you know they know how to drive a car, uh, but it's these other people that they're just sitting too dang close to the steering wheel, and and I think that is is what's causing this problem. Maybe we need a uh, seat adjustment course. Maybe we should have uh, seat adjustment tips uh, on the XG Talk Show. You know, look, I, I say, you know, we just put, you know, eliminate some of those forward notches. You can only scoot your seat this close to the steering wheel. If you're too small to drive a vehicle from this position, you need another vehicle. Yeah, I don't know why uh, my wife likes to lean her seat back and uh, she won't bring it up forward. And she'll actually get a cramp in her leg holding the clutch pedal down in her uh, in her Wrangler at five foot two. It's a bit of a stretch for her. And I, oh. I can't get her to move the seat up and not have the seat leaning back because she needs a little extra room because she has her hair up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> rather, <laughs> rather have a leg cramp. And I'm sure I'm getting this, this, this wrong because I, I haven't paid, you know, as much attention as I'm supposed to. But every time I get into the, the Wrangler, I have to uh, press that little lever and bring the seat fully forward. Not uh, not not scooched forward, but I mean just the back of the seat up straight right. into your into your full upright position, as they uh, like to say in the airline industry. Yep, and uh, so I miss the uh, the the group of uh, people that like to sit really low, so that you you think the car is driving itself. <laughs> oh, we call we call that the gangsta lean. Oh, is that okay? That's a lean. Yeah. I thought it was like a duck type thing. <laughs> I guess that was actually. I think that was popularized way back in the uh, the eighties by uh, Cheech and Chong. Cheech was driving around like that in his yeah. uh, in his Chevy. So that's, right. that's I forgot. That's been a long time. That's <laughs> been going on for a long time. Oh, good times there. A little flashback, a little Cheech and Chong movies there. Good times. Hey, big thanks to pre-runner John, uh, 19, uh, John, pre-runner 1982, there we go, for submitting our first story for this week's This Week in Jeep. If you would like to submit a story to be aired on This Week in Jeep, or if you have a response to any one of our stories, please send an email to newstips at xjtalkshow.com. xjtalk.com is where you go when you're not off-road. And now you can go to xjtalk.com when you're off-road, too. Using your smartphone, install the Tap a Talk app, then search for XJ Talk. Take XJ Talk with you wherever you go. Jury duty, dinner with your spouse's parents, even, well, anywhere you need your XJ Talk fix. We welcome and look forward to your questions and comments. 
Dial 530-675-4102 and leave your message on our 24 by 7 voicemail. Hey you, yeah you, the one just sitting there listening to the XJ Talk Show. Why aren't you a part of it? What? Tell me more you say? Well, it's pretty simple. You can become an XJ Talk Show reporter. All you need is a smartphone and the ability to talk to people. Just email reporter at xjtalk.com for more information. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or your MP3 player. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash xjtalkshow. And now we share a little love for our YouTube subscribers. We've got well over 500 subscribers and over 170,000 views. You guys are doing a good job. Make sure you keep spreading the word. If you like the show, help us out. Tell a friend. we got uh, four off the list today, and these are no in particular order. And uh, we, we grab these off, off the list every week and spread a little love to those who have uh, well, taken the time to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Stanbo IFX rounds off the first of the list. And we've got the great White Hunter. One of the things my wife, uh, my wife, my mom used to call my dad when he was uh, hunting roaches. Oh, interesting. Harry Franco. Hey, I remember. I recognize that name. Yeah. And uh, Dog Rob 1973. You know, I think we've got 580 subscribers, Josh. Hey, knocking on the door of that 600 mark. And that means we're really close to 1,000. Keep up the good work, guys. <laughs> Thanks for the subscriptions. <laughs> for With rounding, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get to some voicemails. Uh, oh, I like it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said I like it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thought I had jumped on you again. Hey, this is Tony. And this is Josh from the XJ Talk Show. We want to thank you for calling our 24-7 voice line. Yes, we do. Just leave your first name and your question or comment. There's no guarantee, but we may play your message on the podcast. Oh, and don't worry about keeping it clean. We'll take care of that. Now it's your turn to speak at the beep. Hey, this is Nikki G. And I got a quick comment about uh, Josh's recent carnage to his transfer case. (laughs) Uh, Both Tony and Josh, you both agreed that a transfer case skid would uh, help minimize the damage. And I've got to strongly disagree. I've got a skid on my underwear, and I don't ah. think it helps at all. In fact, I think it increases to the damage. So, uh, uh, well, I said it before, and I'll say it again. You can't go wrong with a potty joke. <laughs> all right, gentlemen, I'll chat to you later. Have a good one. Bye. Or I should have wiped better in the potty joke. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> leave it to Nikki G to bring up some skid marks. Good times, bud. <laughs> yeah, I can hear uh, I can hear his lovely wife now. Honey, <laughs> what did I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> Although, uh, what do you want to bet Nikki G does the uh, the laundry around that house? Oh. Okay, some manly men uh, do do laundry. I'm not one of them, but uh, some manly men do. Hey, this is Nikki G. And I just want to say, I've been watching a new show called The Lottery, a science fiction show, which I won't get into too much because I know that this is a G podcast. 
but it takes place in the year 2025. And uh, the lead character drives a 1996 or younger Cherokee. And just I'm very happy that the production company chose Jeep to represent. And I'm pretty proud about that. But I'm very angry at the inaccuracies that uh, Hollywood portrays with uh, vehicles in general, but mostly Jeeps. Uh, first of all, guys driving down the road, and the Foley artist who does the sounds put this big throaty V8 sound to it, which almost sounds comical because we know it's it's the straight six or head back a bit fourth cylinder. And then second of all, he stopped in front of a building. He's talking to somebody out the window. And he reaches over and he grabs a styrofoam cup, takes a sip, and puts it back down which we all know is bullcrap because 96 and younger Jeeps did not have a cup holder. Jeez, that guy's got the ball. Either that or did, did he get the only cup holder ever installed on a 96 Jeep? And the, the last thing is this Jeep's supposedly 30 years old. It looks like it just came off the showroom floor. There's no modifications on it except for a bull bar, uh, no dings, no pinstriping from the trees, uh, no lift kit, no, no big tires on it. He still even runs the factory rims on it. Uh, I've never seen a Jeep like that in my life. And somebody might have bought one new, like Tony, you've probably seen them in Sherman, Florida, but they don't exist now. They're, uh, a unicorn, I'll probably more likely see a unicorn before I see a Jeep in that pristine condition. All right, guys, uh, I'll chat you later. Yeah, have a good one. Bye. <laughs> Did you, I didn't catch what show that was. That would be pretty cool to see somebody using a Jeep Cherokee and that much where you could notice all these things. Yeah, really? No, that would be kind of cool. I might check that out. <laughs> so anyway, great, uh, great voicemails as uh, always, uh, Nikki. So we got a uh, we got another. It's not exactly a voicemail, but like we've said time and time again, everybody's got a story to tell regards to their Jeep, whether it's their build, whether it's a recent wheeling adventure. Heck, we spent two episodes talking about a recent wheeling adventure that I went on. In fact, and uh, well, guys, you can do the same thing. We actually had a, a fan of the show and a listener uh, do that very same thing, and then called in and uh, gave us a little synopsis of his recent wheeling adventure. His oh. name's Zach. Goes by Zach XJ nineteen ninety three. Yeah, I don't want to mess up the, uh, the 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 flow here, but is everything running well on your Jeep now? I mean, uh, I'm sure we can get into this into the uh, the chit chat section, but just you mentioned well, the recent wheeling trip. Yeah, I was going to say uh, the that carnage has been repaired, and I've since taken my Jeep out wheeling again, and I've suffered some more carnage. So we'll get into <laughs> no. that later in the show, though. <laughs> Good teaser. All right. Well, here's uh, uh, Zach and his first wheeling adventure. Hey, this is Zach XJ1993. Um, I'm excited that I'd like to tell a little story, an off-roading story. Actually, the uh, story of one of my my first uh, my first times going out wheeling, and uh, it actually wasn't in a Jeep. It was in a 1991 uh, Chevy 1500 pickup. Uh, as a short box, just a single cab, four-wheel drive, and it was 
most mostly stock. Um, it had a uh, had the 4.3 liter V6 engine with a the NV3500 five-speed manual, and um, it, uh, it's a great truck. It had um, a little bit oversized tires. I think the tires on it were 32s or 33s, so about about average for a full-size pickup. But anyway, um, my cousin he had a, he had a 90, no, it was a 2001 XJ, and he had a three and a half inch uh, short arm lift on it, and um, and he was running 31s. So he had a mildly, mildly modified Jeep. And uh, so we went out wheeling and up here where I'm at in Idaho, there's, uh, there's a lot of um, a lot of lava rock and a lot of sand. And lava rock is extremely grippy and sand doesn't give you any traction. And so there's a one particular, one particular hill, it's called the Pumpkin Eater. And that's for good reason because um, I've known three or four different people who've Busted up the spider gears in the rear differentials of their, in the rear differentials of the vehicles, and um, so we went for it. And I'm just in this, fact, <laughs> pretty much stock suspension truck with a little bit bigger tires, open differentials, and and I sticker in four low and start creeping up this hill nice and easy. And that four the the 4.3 liter <laughs> V6 engines just screaming to push those big tires with the tall gears, and. Uh, Moving my way up, and it's it's climbing just fine, and uh, you know, no big deal. Spun spun the differentials a little bit, but not a not too big of a deal. And just going up, my cousin's kind of spotting me as we're going up this hill. And I've not really done any of this crazy wheeling before. This is this is my first my first go, and so I'm a little freaked out and trying not to whiskey throttle it or anything like that. And uh, just uh, going up this hill and get most of the way up. And then the rear differential slips just a little bit and slides. I slide back about two feet and uh, hear a little bit of a snap. Nothing, not, not really a snap. Maybe just like a clunk. Anyway, so we nothing's nothing's too big of a deal. Anyway, so go up to the get climb up the rest of the way up to the top of the hill and then drive down off the backside and um, you know it's not not a big deal continue go do a couple other little sand climbs and some other things and play around on a couple other spots and then then I hear kind of a grinding noise and I'm trying to figure out what the heck's going on and so we get out and um, we're looking underneath the truck and everything and then my buddy he uh, he spots on the passenger side the uh, on the um, <clears throat> on the front CV shaft on the passenger side the boot closest to the wheel has torn and there's grease just the wheel the inside of the wheel is just covered in grease and the brakes got grease all over it it's just filled filled the knuckle full because it just flipped all the grease out once the boot tore and then the retaining ring on the cv was uh it pretty much grenaded the outside of that cv and the ball the ball bearings were all coming out and everything so the shaft itself was sitting in the drive cup and so <laughs> we uh we limped her home about I don't know it was maybe 15 miles home at about 20 miles an hour just nice and easy and it was just clunking and grinding all the way home but the uh not a whole lot you could do couldn't get it out didn't have uh didn't have a big enough wrench to uh pop the the bolts and pull it off the differential didn't have anything to remove the sway bar um there's a sway bar link in the way as well and so just not quite the right tools and so it was an interesting first experience going wheeling out uh in a chevy pickup and, and then uh you know learned a lot of things then and got it home and 
had to save a couple, save for a week or so, to, uh, before I could buy a new CV shaft for that size. But uh, for that side, and um, and then, and uh, so I just left it in. <laughs> it was essentially only could be in two-wheel drive because there was no CV shaft on one side, <laughs> but the drive cup was still in there. And man, it was it was a pain to get that all apart. Had to buy a huge socket to get the to break that. Uh, there's the big nut that sits under the cap um, on the wheel and uh, under that hub cap, and is that was a pain. Had a big long cheater on there to get it all loose. And anyway, so I guess the moral of the story is is, um, and I vowed never to wheel again unless I had solid axles underneath the underneath the vehicle, whether it was a Jeep or whatever it was. But um, I've had a couple other experiences since then, and those have been in Jeeps, but. Uh, but that's uh that was my first wheeling experience and that's really kind of what you know got me hooked was that first that first adventure going out and playing and um really uh pushing the vehicle to the limit and then trying to <laughs> and then breaking it and then having to limp it home i guess that's part of the that's part of the fun as well so anyway um y'all have a good uh y'all have a have a good week and remember to keep it jeep amen I hear that. Yeah, good advice, man. Friends don't let friends drive IFS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a shame. That's uh, that's going to be a sickening feeling. Although uh, I know from uh, having uh, broken vehicles before, uh, not from wheeling, but just from uh, daily driving, uh, I've never broke one off road. Uh, even when I had my '83 pickup, and I was, I had no idea what I was doing then, and I never broke it, which is just amazing to me. When I, especially when I hear stories like this. But I do mm-hmm. know the feeling of limping home and making it there. And and that yep. thought of, I think I'm going to make it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I had, I had my doubts a, a while back when I, uh, when I sheared off my, uh, my track bar mount yes. off the frame and uh, limping that Jeep home. And, you know, I, I was on the home stretch and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make it. <laughs> You know, gave my, little, gave my little Jeep a little pat on the dash. Like, yeah, good and job. It, it immediately went into death wobble. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, sorry. Well, sorry, no, I, sorry. I, I, was, I was a quarter mile off of the staging area, and I got that death wobble, and I had my doubts. I pulled off yeah. the side of the road, and I was like, you know, I might just have to call a tow truck. <laughs> did, you, did you get down yeah, on right. me? Did you get down on your one knee and say a little uh, prayer? Well, you know, I, I was, uh, I was, you know, kind of praying to the Jeep gods, like, come on, get me home. I don't want to have to call a tow truck and sit here and wait for all that. And, oh, yeah. and, uh, and ended up making it home. So, uh, you know, I, I, I got to give props to the Jeep, man. Even, even, uh, even with some good damage, they'll still get you home. Well, Josh, I wish I had a drum roll, but, uh, we have a iTunes review to report. Ooh, where's the applause and the fanfare? Hey, good job, guys. We've been asking you for, uh, for well, several weeks now to go ahead and, and pop over to iTunes or, or Stitcher even and, and leave us a review, a five-star review. We love those. And, and of course, uh, listen, uh, leaving, leaving a comment as well is always nice. And, uh, and we got one here by Rocco21. He says, uh, he gave us a five-star review, and he says, almost as good as a Jeep on a Fiat platform. <laughs> hey. Far, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of a backhanded compliment right there. I'm going to have to go find, track down this Rocco, give him a piece of my mind. No, in all seriousness, he says, uh, as far as Jeep or off-road podcasts go, this is top tier. Honestly, I could, I could do more with, <laughs> with I could go with uh, more renegaded 2014 Cherokee bashing, but I'll take what they have. Good reviews on Jeeps, parts, and pieces with great tips, tricks, and humor. This podcast is Trailhawk Tough and Trail Rated. 
<laughs> you know, nicely done, Rocco. All the all things considered, there you, you you crammed a lot of good stuff into that review. I like it. Big thumbs up from me to Rocco. I don't know, for, but from the backhanded compliment, I get the feeling that trail rated means he'd take us out to the woods and then leave. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can find your way back, right? That's true. That's very true. <laughs> well, hey guys, this part of the XJ Talk Show is brought to you by Audible.com. If you like podcasts, there's a good chance you're going to like audiobooks too. Just like uh, Tony and I, we listen to audiobooks every now and again. And if you're busy like us and you don't have time to read those pesky books, you're going to need an audiobook. Besides, reading a book in traffic is probably bad for your health. Audible.com has over 150,000 titles to choose from across any imaginable topic, from tech to sci-fi, fiction to fantasy, and yes, they even have some Jeep stuff too. To get you started, the XJ Talk Show has got your hookup. Just go to audibletrial.com slash xjtalkshow and instantly get one free title of your choice. That's right, anything you want on the site for absolutely free. And who says you can't get something for nothing? That's audibletrial.com slash xjtalkshow. Hey Josh, do they have any picture books? Oh, those might be interesting to to, to read. It's somebody <laughs> there describing the picture. Page one we have here is a little fluffy bunny. Because <laughs> I, I like I like books with pictures. The more pictures, the better. The more better. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, let's dive right into the into this week's chit chat, guys. Uh, I told you well over the last couple of weeks uh, about a recent wheeling adventure where I had suffered some carnage, split my transfer case open, and busted an, an axle U joint, taking out both the inner and the ax- inner, and the the inner and the outer axle shafts. That's all been fixed and everything's hunky dory. Uh, I had a, a big Jeep event I DJ'd last weekend, and it was a lot of fun. Decided to treat myself to a little bit of camping and a little bit of wheeling. Uh, loaded up the Jeep after I got home and unloaded all the DJ gear. Uh, loaded up with a camping gear, got my tools and recovery gear, and I headed up to the mountain. Got up there kind of late at night. It was like about 10, 10.30. Set up camp really quick and then sat around the campfire with some friends and, and we had a few beers. Got up nice and early the next morning and spent the entire day wheeling and it was awesome. I had some just spectacular views. Uh, got some really awesome pictures I, I posted up on uh, on our Facebook guys got to check check that out as well uh just some stunning vistas so we're gonna have to get some of you guys out here and i'll take you up wheeling to catch some of this yourself but throughout the trip i uh i had a couple bumbles and all the the jeep didn't get stuck and i didn't have to re- have to use any recovery gear i did suffer some carnage at one point in time my speedometer stopped working and i'm pretty sure i know what the culprit is it's the uh, sending unit out of the transfer case now if you remember this was a craigslist transfer case um that i that i sourced out and, uh, and it, it's probably seen its fair share of miles. Honestly, I have no idea how many miles were on it. The chain looked good enough. Uh, there was uh, no gigantic chunks of metal coming out of the transfer case. And uh, all the, the fluid was kind of burnt and nasty looking. There, Did a fluid swap and, and everything looked pretty good. There was metal. It just wasn't big chunks. <laughs> yeah, no, there, there was a, when I drained it out, it was a little bit of shiny gook that, uh, that came out at the bottom. And it looked like maybe a C-clip had uh, found its way through some gears and, and gotten munched up a little bit. But uh the Jeep, I mean, the transfer case works just fine. I ended up uh, putting the Jeep through its paces fairly well. Nothing too hardcore. Nothing like I did the the weekend prior or the you know two weekends prior. But uh, but got it out and got on some decent trails and and really you know put it all over some rocks and and some other good stuff. So had a lot of fun. Uh, but uh, in addition to that, I uh, ended up putting a couple holes in my exhaust, and so I'm going to have to uh, replace at the very least the muffler. Um, possibly the entire cat back system. So we'll, we'll see how that ends up going. You know, um, if, but, uh, if you're going to repair the muffler, you might as well swap out the muffler, muffler bearings. Cause I think that, yep. what is that? 25,000 miles, every 25,000 miles. 
Yeah, I think so. I'm gonna have to hit up Matt over at bleepandjeep.com and uh, and see what he's got as far as those replacement muffler bearings go. I hear they're checking blinker f- fluid at the inspection stations now too. <laughs> yeah. Rat and for bastards. those of you putting big speakers in the back of your Jeep, uh, back in that back door, check out the six by nine hole saw. <laughs> it's uh, offset for the drill. So what's been going on with your Jeep uh, and stuff, Tony? I uh, understand that uh, I saw some pictures on Facebook recently of some additions that you've done to your own Jeep. Yeah, uh, I uh, I listened to this uh, this story of this poor dumb bastard that went wheeling and uh, didn't put on his transfer <laughs> transfer case skid. Oh, that poor dumb bastard! What the hell is he thinking? <laughs> and he wound up coming down on top of a rock and is splitting that thing open like an oyster, like a duck on a June bug splitting a June bug open. And, uh, so, uh, I, uh, I was out there, uh, doing an oil change on the 99 and I thought, well, I know where the, tr- the skid is. Let me go see if I can put that on. And I've been holding off because I wanted to get some nut certs to, uh, uh, mm. be able to mount the, cause we actually pulled the nut certs out. They started spinning at one point when, uh, my mechanic and I were doing some work on the Jeep many years ago and he popped them out and uh, he actually just put bolts in there. So I had to take the, the skid off to do, uh, I think a drop a drop kit or something I can't remember. So um, I didn't put it back because uh, I want to get the nut certs. Never got the nut certs. Never put the skid back on. So uh, I thought, you know, it's it's silly. I haven't been off road, but before I went off road, I wanted to put the skid on. So just one more step of of getting ready, uh, and uh, and I'll I'll add that uh, now I just have to um, get the extended brake line on the rear, and I should mm. be uh, I should be good to go really. Uh, but anyway, um, so, uh, I actually found a couple of, uh, rounded Torx bolt bolts, rounded head Torx bolts that I believe came off of, uh, the TJ and, uh, the pretty good size, uh, bolts. And I thought, you know, this would be really good to have right there in the middle of the, uh, the cross member so that, uh, anything that rubs across there won't, I mean, it's not going to catch much anyway, but just the thought of right. it, nice rounded, smoother. So uh, I, uh, I used the old uh, screwdriver method in uh, putting uh, pressure on taking a uh, impact wrench, a half-inch ta- uh, impact wrench and a long-ass screwdriver and putting a lot of pressure on that nut that I had threaded. You know, you stick your finger in the cross member and get that nut on the, the bolt and, and get it started and then put a lot of pressure on that, that uh, nut. And it'll, if you hit it with the torque, uh, with the, um, not the torque wrench, the uh, impact, It'll actually right. tighten up, and you can actually get it to tighten all the way up. And and you know, uh, as as they say at work, praise praise Jesus, it did work. So I got both of them nice and tight. Uh, how I'll ever get it off there, I don't know. I probably have to use the reverse screwdriver method. Um, oh. And I, you know, I I guess it's been a while since I've messed with a transfer case skid. I cannot believe the size of the bolt, the single bolt that holds the other end of the transfer case skid to the unibody uh i think you could fart on this thing and it would break in half it is tiny i was trying to find a bolt to put in there and i i, I got some that i thought were relatively small and i tried it wouldn't even fit in the, the nut cert i mean not even in the little before it got oh. to the threads so uh I, I finally found one and i don't know what the size of it is but it's uh it's got to be a, a less than a quarter of an inch uh across it's really small yeah, that is small. I, I don't. God, you know, I, I'm gonna have to go out in the garage and, and take a look at the transfer case skid that I've got. Um, but I could have sworn there were two holes on on each side. Nope. 
Well, there, there's two holes on the the uh, the transfer case skid, but there's only one nut cert, uh, which you wouldn't know because yours didn't come with uh, a, a factory skid. But there's only one uh, nut cert, so you only have one bolt holding it onto the uh, the unibody. You know, I would have probably grabbed a drill, a drill bit, and maybe one of those uh, large self-tapping screws that you'd find in a uh, in a uh, a rock rail kit, and uh, and make myself a, a secondary mount on the on the unibody side just to make sure. Well, unfortunately, that thin metal, nothing's going to hold into it. Uh, you would actually have to put a nut cert or uh, open up a nice big hole that you could get in there with a with a nut, and of course that would weaken the uh, the unibody right there where you were. Uh, putting that hole, you probably have to could have a good inch size hole to be able to get into the uh, in there to put the uh, put the nut on the back of the the bolt. But uh, I think what I'm going to try to do is get a a belly pan skid, either get one or make one. Because oh, saw the uh, the JCR belly pan skid uh, here recently. I think uh, Matt at bleepingjeep.com was uh, was doing a, a video of uh, putting one of those on, and boy, does that look beefy. Yeah. Well, uh, I actually, I really like that one, and I contacted them to see if they could make me one special. Uh, it, it would be just like that, but it would need to be about another two inches wider where the lip comes up on the side of the, the unibody, because I have mm -hmm. those uh, frame stiffeners uh, from uh, Detours. So it would have to go up and uh, out a little further, so it would take in that, uh, uh, that rectangular steel tubing that I have. Yeah, I was on uh, JCR's website, actually, after I watched that video earlier this week, and or maybe it was uh, in the last week. In any case, um, I, I believe that they, uh, when, in, during the ordering process, if there's a drop-down uh, that says, you know, do you have frame stiffeners, yes or no? Uh, and they take, account, uh, take an account for that. Yeah, they're talking about the TNT frame stiffeners that wrap around the unibody, not the ones that actually you know, are this huge hunks of metal that run alongside the unibody. Mm. So anyway, they uh, they said that's a that's a big negative, uh, Ghost Rider. <laughs> uh -oh. No no custom belly pan. So you know uh, I'm supposed to be doing an interview uh, with uh, the president of JCR. I may give him a hard time during the interview about uh, <laughs> <laughs> about a belly pan skid for my Jeep. <laughs> Now, what else, what else you got going on? I hear there's a little birdie told me there's some uh, suspension goodies coming your way here soon. That's right. I forgot about that. Uh, I've, I've noticed some wheel hop at 80 plus miles an hour on the highway. And uh, yes, uh, yes, fans, the uh, the 98 Jeep will do over 80 miles an hour on the highway with uh, six and a half inch lift and probably 600 extra pounds of weight. Uh, but uh, I felt a little uh, wheel hop the other day. And of course, I've had some problems with cupping. Uh, not the kind you think. The wheels were where the tires uh, look funny, and uh -huh. uh, so uh, I'm gonna put some. Uh, is it Bilstein or Bilstein? Yep. Bilstein. Bilstein. Uh, yep. I'm gonna put some Bilstein 50, 5100 series uh, shocks on there. The same shocks that uh, uh, Matt uh, MS uh, or M Smorenberg over on XJTalk.com is using. So yeah, uh, good shocks. I actually uh, I got a set of they're the the fifty one hundred or the fifty one twenty five. I got them uh, through a guy on Naxja who was parting out his Jeep and only had I mean very little miles on them. Uh, got them for a steal. So those are going to be going on my Jeep here pretty soon. So Tony, we're going to have uh, matching shocks here pretty soon. Well, uh, Matt said his uh, the, the rides a little firm, but he likes the the firm feel. And I told him anything that keeps those uh, thirty three inch tires thirty three by twelve and a half on the ground at eighty miles an hour. I'll be happy with. I mean, it's a four-wheel drive. I do not have to have a smooth ride. 
You know, going off of what I've seen on uh, Power Block TV on the Extreme 4x4 show, uh, Bilstein is pretty good about customer service and uh, helping you set up those shocks as far as revalving them uh, to custom tailor the suspension or the shocks to your ride. So um, you may want to give them a call after you order them or uh, maybe before they're shipped or in any case, uh, reach out to them and find out if they can do something for you as far as tuning up your shocks before you get them or after. Anyways. Yeah, I think I remember seeing that on Extreme 4x4, uh, the same type deal where they were talking about contact them and tell you exactly what you need. And and uh, I, I was quite tempted to do it this time. But uh, the Brain Trust on the Facebook uh, uh, put up their, their suggestions of the uh, shocks I should get, which were the ones with the external reservoirs, the 5165s, I think, which, which sold for $170 a piece. So uh, yeah. I, I think I'll go that direction later. Uh, interestingly enough, this uh, this shock that I bought is the same shock that would be used on the TJ. So uh, it's always a possibility I could go to a something later and move these over to the TJ. Oh, yeah. Well, let's move into our Jeep Tips segment. And uh, this is going to be a new one from, uh, uh, from uh, Steve. He's actually uh, starting up a new segment called uh, uh, Garage Tips. Uh, I think that's what, I, what he called it. Let's see. This is something he called it, and uh, uh, Jeep Garage. I'm sorry. There we go. So uh, let's get to that. And now for a disclaimer. Jeep Tips is for entertainment purposes only. If you choose to follow these tips, man up and take the responsibility for your own actions. If you cannot or you feel that working on your Jeep is beyond your abilities, seek the help or advice of a trained certified mechanic. Got a tip? We do. It's time for Jeep Tips. I want to build a bumper. What kind of welder should I buy? This question comes up from time to time on XJ Talk. And, of course, there's a lot of discussion then because what happens is is whoever wants to buy this welder has done a little bit of research and says, you know what, I can go down to Harbor Freight and I can buy a welder for $120. And if I can get a little bit of scrap steel, I can probably make that 500 to 800 dollar bumper for about 200 bucks and that sounds like really good but i just thought i'd ask you guys anyway well it turns out that almost invariably the answer is uh maybe you shouldn't get that welder and the reason is is that well it's not much of a welder so let's talk about welders for a little bit and and we'll sort of investigate some possibilities here now, the first kind of welder that there ever was was called a buzz box, or if you got the expensive version from Lincoln, there's some of them around you can pick up cheap. Uh, they would weld with alternating current and direct current, and you could reverse the direction of the current. They're pretty cool. And you could do a lot of specialty welding with them. And indeed, I have a buzz box that just welds AC only, but I use it for specialty jobs, such as welding spring steel or uh, uh, using nickel rod to weld cast iron manifolds, stuff like that. So those can be useful, but you know what? They're kind of hard to use. And if anybody wants to say, hey, I'm going to go buy a welder and make a bumper, uh, that's not really the welder to use. <laughs> because to be honest with you, when I learned on one, what I did is I took a class at a community college and I did 10 weeks of welding. Uh, which amounted to about 200 hours. And by the time I got out of that 200 hours of actual welding time, I could run a pretty decent bead in 
all, all positions. And so if you're going to use that kind of a welder because, hey, granddad has one or so forth, you're going to have to put 200 hours of time in it with some instructions so that you can get down to where you could actually build a bumper that's not going to fall apart. By far the most uh, recommendations that we give is to get what's called a wire feed. And one of these little welders are a little box and they've got a spool of wire inside. It's a, it's a hard wire and so it means it's tougher usually than the mild steel you're welding on. And you uh, press the uh, button and uh, the wire comes out and it goes zap and you can lay down a, a weld. So uh, the reason we recommend these, they're very forgiving. They're easy to weld with. You don't need 200 hours of practice to make one work. You can weld with them for, say, two hours. And uh, if you're paying attention to what you're doing, you can get down to where you can make a fairly decent weld, something that's going to hold together if you decide to build that bumper. So let's get back to this Harbor Freight welder here for a minute. 120 bucks on their website. Uh, well, the problem with that welder is that it only has enough juice that it puts out to weld something 3 sixteenths of an inch thick. Now, 3 sixteenths, I've got pop rivets that I use that are that thick. Uh, 3 sixteenths is a small screw. So, when you go to weld that bumper, you're going to want to build it out of at least 3 sixteenths and probably quarter inch. And if you're using 3 sixteenths, to be honest with you, uh, you're right at the capacity of that welder. And that welder welds with something called flux core wire, which means that you're going to be beating the slag off of it. And that flux core is not a good all-position welding uh, type, type of uh, wire. Uh, basically, you're kind of looking at uh, laying down something that is flat on the table or maybe on a corner or in a notch or something. But the point is, is that it's not a general purpose, all type of welding. And if you're going to start welding on your Jeep, you need something that you can use in all positions. So let's look at this a little bit further. Now I have a wire feed that I use. It's, it's a professional model and I weld in all positions and I weld all kinds of cool stuff. Aluminum, stainless steel, mild steel. Um, you can buy all kinds of wire and gas mixtures and so forth and weld just about anything you want and it's easy to do. But Getting back to our $120 machine here, it's also only got a 20% duty cycle in it. Now, what does that mean, duty cycle? That means that for every 20 seconds you weld, 20 seconds is not a long weld, uh, you have to wait another 80 seconds before you can weld again, or you're going to cook the welder. It's that simple. Now, that doesn't necessarily hold true if you're trying to weld pop cans with it. But uh, it uh, suffices to say that this is not continuous duty. You can't just take off and start making great big long welds with high amperage with it. 
If you go the next step up, uh, by the time you get up to uh, a 180, 180 amp uh, welder for Harbor Freight, nah, you're getting up to about 350 bucks there. And you can weld quarter inch steel with that. So, back to this flux core stuff. I want to be able to weld in all positions and I want to make my welds quickly if I can. And you'll notice that on their websites, this is a flux core slash gas uh, shield welder. Now, what that means is that when you weld with flux core, this flux goes over the top of the weld and this weld has to be protected with something over the top. And the stick welders I was talking about, the buzz box, there, when you look at the welding rod, it's coated with some ugly looking stuff. Sometimes it's nice colors like pink or something, but basically it's kind of ugly. And it uh, is kind of made out of silicone and things like that. And when you uh, weld it, you look like you're laying down a weld and when you get done, uh, looks kind of bad and you got to take a slag hammer and you got to beat this stuff off. Well, the flux core is the same way. It covers your weld with some silicone type of material and you got to beat that off afterwards because you want to look at what your weld looks like underneath because sometimes you can have a really ugly weld that gets filled in by this slag they call it and you really don't have a weld at all you just have a nice piece of slag on there so you got to beat it off you got to look at your weld make sure you did it right and if you didn't do it right you got to do it over it's going to fall apart now, if you get a gas shield, what this is, is it's a, a gas that comes out of the nozzle of your uh, stinger as your, or your gun as you're holding it, and it covers your weld while it's uh, red or white hot, and it keeps oxygen and, and other gases in the air from it, and it allows it to flow down like it's supposed to be, but when you're done, you don't have to beat the slag off of it. This is what it is, and it only ha gas shield only has to be there as long as you're actually welding. And as soon as it cools down, the gas dissipates, and you can see exactly what you've done. Now, the other thing about a uh, a MIG is that is is really cool is is that it's very forgiving. You don't have to be an expert welder. You see with that buzz box, you got to do all kinds of little circular motions and stuff like that just to lay down a basic bead. You don't have to do that with a MIG. It's, you just start it and it just sort of lays itself down if you've got the gun positioned properly. So what I would recommend is that if you're looking for these MIG welders, number one, make sure you got enough uh, uh, circuit breaker to support them. They take a minimum of 20 amp circuit breaker, uh, which is real common in a garage. Uh, but you could have only a 15 amp circuit breaker, and uh, that wouldn't run one of these things if you're trying to weld a bumper. So make sure you got enough juice available. They'll run off of 120 volts. Get yourself a gas bottle. It doesn't have to be huge, but get yourself a gas bottle and hook it up. And then after about an hour, or two hours of practice on some scrap steel, you'll be proficient enough that you could weld something together. You might need to do a little grinding and so forth, 
But we're going to give you some tips in some subsequent broadcasts about how to actually weld and, and make it come out. But right now, we're still buying equipment. We haven't finished yet because, for instance, if you go to the Harbor Freight website, spit that out, and you get their welder, this welder comes with a handheld shield that you hold up against uh, your face and uh, weld that way. And I got to tell you, this isn't too cool. And one reason is, you really make a lot better weld if you put both hands on the gun. So it's going to help you weld if you have what's called a regular welding hood. They flip up, and so when you get ready to weld, you can just shake your head if you have them all set up right. They'll flip down, and you can press the trigger on the gun, and away you go. Now, there's one more feature that I really recommend, and you're going to see why as we get into subsequent broadcasts. And we actually tell you how you can do things like build bumpers and sliders and all of these really cool things that you'd like to have and build yourself. And maybe you just really quite can't afford them, but you're going to have to get the right equipment. And so the next piece of equipment you really need to have is an auto darkening helmet. And I don't know how I ever got to where I could be a good welder without one of these things. I'm so spoiled now because now I can take my auto darkening helmet. I can put it on. If I'm using a uh, buzz box, I have to strike an arc. It's really hard to get that, that first arc struck and, and get it going. If you haven't done it very much, it's, you'll sit there and the rod will stick and all kinds of stuff like that. But with an auto darkening helmet, that's not a problem. You can see exactly what's going on because as soon as it flashes, from the arc, that helmet goes dark, and you can see exactly what you're starting with, and then you can see while you're welding, and as soon as you stop welding, it goes back to kind of like wearing colored glasses, and you can really see quite well. And, and that's really going to be a plus for when we start getting under our vehicles and start welding on them and building suspension parts and things like that, fixing cracks. All of these things will go a thousand percent better if you have an auto darkening helmet. Now, one other piece of equipment you have to have is you've got to have a coat of some kind. And I don't recommend an old cotton coat because I've actually caught one of these things on fire. Uh, I was down at the firehouse and I was welding away. I had a Levi jacket. I didn't want to bring any leathers or anything down. And, and so I was welding and I started getting smoke in the hood and my firefighter buddies were kind of standing to one side laughing at me because I had fire coming all up the front of me because I caught my coat on fire. And uh, so there was all kinds of jokes going on about uh, whether or not we should call in a man fire and stuff like that. So it really pays you to get a good coat, a welding coat of some kind. I have one that I've had for years that's served me well. It has leather sleeves and it has a fabric uh, torso so that you don't get too hot on a hot day, but you really need one of these things. You can't weld with bare skin showing. You've got to be completely covered uh, as far as the arc is concerned because that arc gives off very, very intense ultraviolet rays and it'll burn you like you wouldn't believe. And 
it'll be the worst sunburn you ever had. And it doesn't take but about 10 minutes to get one like that. So you got to make sure you're covered up. You get your, your welding coat. I know they cost a few bucks, but uh, you really need one. And it's just something you can't be without. So now you've got your equipment. But I would suggest that you look into, say, a Miller or a Hobart or a Lincoln welder, because these welders, instead of being a 20% duty cycle for the same size welder, are a 30% duty cycle. In other words, you can weld half again as long with them. And that half again is quite a bit and allows you to weld as much as you would probably do in any kind of a professional shop situation while you uh, set up your next part or examine what you've done or, or so forth and let it cool down inside. So even though you're going to pay twice as much, you get a lot of more welding capacity. And the other thing is, is that the Harbor Freight welders have six settings on them for uh, how much amperage comes out of the uh, gun. And the uh, Miller that I looked at specifically has 10 settings. So in other words, you get more versatility and you get uh, better control of your wires uh, feed. They also have a feature on them that's really cool. I don't know how well it works because I don't have like that on my welder, but uh, it has an automatic setting for the wire speed, which is something you have to adjust uh, continually for each thickness of metal and so forth. It has an automatic suggested setting for every thickness of, of metal that you select on there. So that's a really cool feature for the novice welder because getting that wire feed speed is, it's an art. And so uh, it's something that those welders can help you with and actually make them worth the extra money. So now after you've got your equipment and you're going to be ready to go, uh, stay tuned for subsequent podcasts and we'll talk about welding and how to set stuff up and we'll talk about why you needed those auto darkening helmets, how to fix cracks in your frames, how to build sliders, bumpers, make uh, templates for parts, all of this stuff we're going to cover in subsequent podcasts. So stay tuned to XJ Talk for more stuff from Jeep Garage. Well, great information from Steve and uh, something that I've been wanting to do is uh, get a MIG welder, but, oh, gee, I was looking at one that was $1,000, and i got to get a lot of stuff out of the garage first before I, you know, <laughs> so i got a little building in the back, which is another $1,000, and blah, 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 blah. On and on it goes. That's how it goes. Well, hey, big thanks to Steve there, 4.3 LXJ, for uh, well, starting up a new segment for us. And there's some really good information, guys. Hope to uh, get some more segments from Steve and as far as some fab tech goes. And mm-hmm. stay tuned next week. We're going to bring back Radio Comtech with John, pre runner 1982, with his first radio story. Yep, my first radio. So uh, we uh, we were going to try to squeeze that in tonight, and I had a little technical def- difficulty. I uh, had a great video, no audio, so I thought, uh, hey, let's tease it for next week. <laughs> yeah, good video wouldn't make for good podcast, but uh, yeah, next week we'll get that in for you guys. And, and hey, as we saw over the last couple of weeks, uh, and of course tonight as well, anybody can uh, well has a story to tell, and anybody can do an interview as well. 
Uh, if you've got a Jeep story to tell, or if you have a show and shine, for instance, an off-road event, or any other Jeep-related event you'd like to spread the word about, give us a call or email us at the same place you would for a Jeep news story at newstips at xjtalkshow.com. Our 24-7 voicemail line, always open for you guys, 530-675-4102. Give us a call, say hi, let us know how we're doing, or just talk about your Jeep. Yeah, things you don't like, like uh, our... Uh uh, our uh, ah, complete blank, Josh. What was the the review that we had earlier? Uh, we're not doing enough uh, 2014 and Renegade bashing, which which I yeah, love hearing that. That's almost like uh, a uh, license to kill. <laughs> of course, you can always go back to uh, our entire show archive, available for your downloading pleasure, absolutely free over at xjtalkshow.com. Make sure you find us on Facebook and Twitter, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn.com, iTunes, YouTube, here every Thursday night, 10 p.m. Central, and of course, xjtalk.com. It's why we're here, guys. Make sure you check it out. Hey, and thanks again to Rob for our Wrangler segment. Oh, wait a minute. We didn't have one. Maybe you guys uh, drive a Wrangler. Maybe some of you listeners out there drive a Wrangler. We're really want, needing some Wrangler segments because we want this to be a show about uh, Jeeps. You know, real Jeeps with axles and things, that pumpkins and gears and things. So let us know if you know somebody or if you yourself is a Wrangler genius. Well, hit us up. We'll get you on the show. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Have a great Jeep week.